You parents out there deserve more time to yourselves than ever. Take this chance to sit back, relax with us as we discuss the latest topics and trends. I'm Michelle, a proud mama and also a boss mom. I'll be your host today on Mom's Time Out. Thanks so much for stopping by. We're speaking with Dr. Kim Van Dusen today. She is the owner and founder of The Parentologist with Dr. Kim. She's a mama of two. We're excited to speak to her. She is phenomenal. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. Dr. Kim, I am so excited to speak with you. Thanks for making time to connect with us today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You recently wrote an article that you shared with us here on our Moms Network about empathy. Can you talk to us a little bit about how to teach the kiddos empathy and what inspired you to write that article? Yeah, sure. Exactly. I did write an article recently on you know, how parents can teach their children empathy, because it is something that can be innate, you know, something that we're kind of born with, like, you know, having an empathetic style, you know, as far as our personality, our temperament and so forth. But I wanted to to write this because a lot of parents that I've worked with say that it's it's a struggle for their child to be empathetic. And what does it mean? And how can they kind of instill that in their children in a more intentional way? Because obviously empathy is is important to have, you know, um, you know, if your friend is hurt or if they're sick and building that, that empathy from their actions of, oh, you know, that triggers them to think I should write them a card or I should call and ask if they're okay. Or, you know, just being able to, to have that perspective in life, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and thinking, how would they feel in this situation? And, and before making decisions, let's say in certain things you're doing, um, think, how will the other person feel first before I act? I think is just a really good skill to have. And so that's kind of what inspired me to write it from my own, you know, personal feeling of being a mom and wanting to do that for my own children. And then just from other parents reaching out and and saying they wanted to cultivate empathy um, in their children as well. So yeah, so I wrote it and um, I gave a couple of examples of how to teach it um, as far as, you know, one, modeling it for them, um, you know, modeling, you know, through a parent's own actions and own through whether it's physical actions or verbal actions on how to actually, um, you know, teach it so they can see it, so they can see it in real life and see how it's done. I think is one of the best ways for parents to teach children empathy. Another one that I mentioned is uh, playing it out. That's what I called it. Play it out. Play is very essential, obviously, for children in their lives. And that's really how they make sense of the world, especially when they're little. So I suggest, you know, let's say, for example, getting a box of Band-Aids or bandages and having your child nurse their doll or stuffed animal to help them, you know, feel better by taking care of them. And this will instill something in real life um, that they can apply it to, you know, when children notice their friends or hurt and they want to help them or take care of them, you know, they will already have that kind of um, built in their system because of something that they played out with, um, you know, beforehand. So when I have some other examples on my blog or in the article um, about reflecting and listening, um, what it's like to make a repair if something goes wrong and they do make a mistake, what is it like to apologize because you might have hurt the other person's feelings? And sometimes when, when friends get hurt, you know, there could be a sense of defensiveness of they don't want to get in trouble, so they don't want to their wrongdoing or they don't want to, you know, make it worse. So they kind of, you know, use an avoidance skill, but really making a repair and, and teaching them that, you know, to apologize and how that other person might've felt, you know, and making it better and, you know, coming to a conclusion to make it better. And then one more, sorry, I'll share 
one more, there's one more um, that I wanted to share about is, you know, volunteering and giving, practicing opportunities to be empathetic. And then even for parents to host a family meeting each week, um, you know, having everyone in the family, even if they're a little, to everyone in the house, having a voice, um, taking turns speaking and sharing and have the opportunity to practice listening to others. So not just having the speaking part and having that empowerment, but also taking a turn to listen to others and their feelings. Um, so everyone has the opportunity to express themselves and their own needs. So I'm very passionate, as you can see on this topic. So I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> no, it's incredibly important, especially as um, you, if you have siblings. Yes. And even just working together in, in a classroom with friends, right? How young is too young to start teaching, in your opinion? Gosh, I'm very proactive in, in feeling like everything needs to be preventative. Um, I personally think that parents can start teaching empathy or even most things that we teach them in life um, would be as early as possible. Um, I work professionally, and of course I have my own uh, little ones myself, but I work professionally starting at the age of three. And, you know, some people think that, you know, a toddler's cognitive ability isn't able to pick up on some of these things that we teach them. But honestly, kids are watching from day one. And I feel like sometimes we don't give them enough credit of how intelligent and how capable they really are. Um, they're dynamic human beings. And really since, you know, since the newborn stage, I feel like they're, they're picking up like sponges, their outside environment, they're picking up, um, you know, information they're taking in, they're watching their parents, their siblings and so forth. So I think as soon as you can really just put certain things into action and said, going back to that modeling really from day one, honestly, um, but but really and truly to sit down and have a conversation, you know, with a child about something like this, I would say as early as toddlerhood, um, they can start picking up on what it's like to take care of someone, what it's like to feel um, something that the other person's feeling, you know, talking about emotions. I do that in early ages, even two to three years old. So I think definitely the earlier, the better. And I think to that point, um, there's something about the regulations, right? And mood and how to sort of like, maybe even have a little bit of patience yes. and how they're yeah. going to react to a situation perhaps, yeah. right? With with the tools that you're, you're teaching them. I think that's wonderful advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I honestly, I've done a lot of sleep training. I'm not a professional, you know, person that, uh, you know, has experience or certificate in sleep training, but as a therapist you know, I've done a lot of sleep training, like consultations and parent coaching and whatnot. And I feel like the reason my advice, I guess, works um, or helps parents, you know, when it comes to sleep training their kids, uh, babies is because it has to do a lot with self-regulation. If a child is regulated, then they're going to sleep better through the night, you know, and that starts with the parents. You know, if the parents are, you know, have low anxiety and they follow through with the, some of the things they have to do, um, then that's going to teach the kids self-regulation even at the, you know, six, seven months of age. Um, and that just translates into the older they get and having some of that like you said, those regulation skills, um, you know, and being calm, you know, being controlled um, and, and being patient in the everyday world. And that really helps them, especially through toddlerhood, all the way through teenagehood and even to an adulthood. So yeah, that's why I love starting early because I think some of these things just stick with kids since the very beginning. You touched on a great point about parents and that anxiety that sort of can trickle down to, to the kids. How do you help moms sort of uh, overcome that guilt? Yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I, I'm still trying to figure some of that out myself, <laughs> but to be honest, because I was actually just talking to someone the other day, another mom, and, you know, we, we're both, you know, very driven, you know, we have jobs outside of the home, 
And, you know, how before the pandemic, I felt really guilty as a mom because I was working a nine to five job part time, but still on the days I worked, it was from nine to five and they were in either preschool or daycare at the time. And I felt really guilty because I felt like, oh, I, I, I basically missed this whole day of their life because I'm working and it, it really touched, you know, on my heart. And I just felt this pain of not being with my children, um, you know, because it happens so quickly and they grow up so fast. But then now, then the pandemic hit and we've all been working or I've been working from home since then. And, you know, we've all been home, you know, all day, every day for over a year now. And they, and I was still working and they would actually see me work, which before they were at school, they were playing, they were, you know, doing their own thing, having a great time. I, I don't know why I felt as guilty as I did because they were having the time of their lives, at, you know, with their, with their friends at these places. But then when they actually would see me work, it almost was worse to me because they would constantly say things like, you know, mom, you're always on your computer or you're always on the phone or you're always working or, on, you know, whatever, what the case may be. And it was harder almost to see uh, for them to see me work. And then the guilt became worse because then I felt like, well, now that they're actually watching me, it feels worse to actually work in front of them. <laughs> so I can't win. But um, but I think, you know, what I, what I was talking to this mom about going back to the guilt is is having some sort of balance, you know, so whether you're a full time, you know, full time work at home mom or you work outside the home or, or whatever the case may be, you know, we all go through it because, you know, we all have different things that become a priority in our life. Even if it's doing the dishes or the laundry or paying bills or whatever the case is, certain things take us away from our children's attention and from spending, you know, every second of the day with our kids. And do I think that's wonderful? Yes. Being a mom is the most important job to me. I, I'm very passionate about being a mom. I'm very involved with my kids' lives um, as much as I can every second of the day. But do I think, going back to regulation, is it healthy for kids to have some time on their own? Um, I, I implement, um, personally, I implement um, at home a kind of quiet time during the day. They don't nap anymore, but I do implement a quiet time during the day just so they can get used to being on their own without me or without their sibling, um, just to be in the room, whether they want to rest, whether they want to read, just play on their own. Um, I think there's benefit to that. I think there's benefit to spending some time away from our kids, um, you know, just to help them learn how to survive on their own. I mean, it's part of growing up and it's part of their how they learn autonomy. It's how they learn independence. It's how they learn how to make decisions on their own. So as much as I want to spend every second with, with them, I do think it's important to have some space and let them, you know, maybe go to a friend's house, you know, but when they're old enough for play dates or, you know, go to soccer practice and, you know, make other friends and, um, and not expect them to, to be with me all the time. Um, but the guilt stays in there. And I, I just recommend to parents to, a, let go of the guilt. I actually just wrote another article about that on my blog about redefining motherhood and, and mental health. And, you know, the guilt's going to be there no matter what you do. It's how you handle it and how you um, manage your own self-care, let's say, um, and your own emotions um, so it doesn't trickle down to your kids. Because if you're constantly feeling guilty, they're going to learn that too. And then they're going to kind of have that same anxious mentality. Um, but if you, you know, take take time for yourself and, and you know that you're doing the best, the best you can as a mom, um, then I think that's the most important thing to remember. And, and when it comes to balancing and prioritizing, you know, different things in your life, um, know that it's okay. Know that if you have a really, you know, uh, you work outside the home and you have a really, um, you know, great work ethic where you're, you know, really driven and you're, you're doing all sorts of, you know, great things in the work, in the work world, that that's okay, that your kids are going to learn that too and learn 
you know, how to be driven themselves and how to have a good work ethic, um, you know, when they grow up and eventually get a job. So, you know, um, I guess all I'm saying is when you're with your kids, make it 100%. Prioritize when you're with your kids, give them 100% of your energy and your time. And when you're not with your kids, you know, give it to work or give it to paying the bills or the dishes or whatever it is and know that they are going to be okay. They're very resilient and they're going to, you know, survive if you're on the phone for an hour, you know, for a phone call or whatever it is. So I think it's just giving ourselves some grace as moms um, to not worry about it all so much and let it go a little bit. It does make you feel a little bit anxious and you cringe a little bit because you do think that they want you yes. to be at their side. So you try to rush and do everything and try to be as productive and try to do it all. But you're right. I think that's the key to be graceful and to understand that they need that separation from you. Yeah. You know, I recently noticed that you went on vacation talking about regulation and kids needing their space and having that appropriate time for some quiet time going on vacation. Do you suggest it for parents to go with young children and what's worked for you that you think that other parents can implement? Wow. That's such a great question. And it's funny because I, I guess ever since I had kids, um, we don't have a lot of help from let's say grandparents or, you know, family friends or anything like that. We don't have a lot of family members, cousins, and aunts and uncles to really help us. So even if we wanted to go on vacation by ourselves, <laughs> I don't think for us personally, it's even a possibility. And I think other parents are like that too. So, you know, for us, we don't even think about, you know, what it would be like to, you know, to let's say go on vacation without them. Like they're just part of, you know, we just do it all together, you know, it, for us, you know, I know every family's different. I know a, a friend of mine is going to Cabo with her husband without kids for six days next month, you know, and I, wow. I, I, I envy that a little because I think, oh, that'd be lovely, you know, but I know I'd miss my kids like every second I was, <laughs> I was there because when we have had babysitters in the past, even for a couple hours, you know, I'm out with my husband at a, a, a lovely dinner and we're spending time together trying to reconnect because as parents, sometimes that's hard to do with kids. And so we're trying our best to to be present with each other. And all we're thinking about is, are the kids okay? You know, are they, are they surviving? Like, is the babysitter being nice to them? You know, so it's, it's hard, but, um, but here's, here's a couple things I, I do suggest, um, you know, for parents, if they want a little bit of both. And I know in, in our world, sometimes it's hard to have it all. And it's hard to have both sometimes, but here's a couple things that have worked for us. One, we always ask for a suite, you know, whether we're being, you know, hosted by a hotel um, or we buy our own, you know, vacation for, you know, wherever we're going on. I always recommend parents to get at least some sort of separation of rooms, especially if your kids are old enough. If you're going with an infant or a small toddler, that may not be the case. And that's okay. That's the life stage you're in. But if your kids are old enough to sleep in a room by themselves in the same, in the same room, I guess is what I'm trying to say is to get a suite. So, um, you know, to have maybe a separate bedroom for the parents. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of suites we've stayed in, not all hotels offer this. I know it usually costs a little bit more, so I, I get that. Um, but for instance, we're actually going to be going away for a couple of days, um, coming up and we have this room set up where the kids have their own bedroom where they have a two, like two twin beds and there's like a little teeny living room in between. And then on the other side is, is a king bed you know, which is going to be where my husband and I will sleep. And so we have a, you know, they're with us. And during the day, you know, we're at the pool together, we're going on the water slides and having the time of our lives. And then at nighttime, they go to bed much earlier than my husband and I do. So at night we put them to bed in their own room and they're together. So they love that. They feel like they're camping or, you know, they love kind of that independence of having their own space. And then we'll go to the living room or we'll go on the balcony if there's no living room and, you know, might have a glass of wine or just, you know, sit and chat or watch a TV show or watch a movie on the TV. 
and then we'll retreat to our own bedroom. And eventually our kids usually end up in the bed with us, especially since we're in a new, a new space and, you know, they get scared at like 2 a.m. and wonder where they are and, you know, they want their parents and that's okay with us. But, um, but I guess, you know, you kind of can have both if you set it up and save for a room like that, where you can have your alone time and almost have some like a date night, if you will, but your kids are literally in the same room with you. They're just in the next bedroom, if you will. Um, that's worked. And then recently last year, we went on our first Disney cruise and which was amazing. And I know cruises aren't, you know, live yet, but I know they will be soon. Um, but something like Disney Alani or Disney cruise, I know four seasons, I haven't stayed there before, but a friend of mine just stayed there and said, there's a really great kids club. And so if you can find whether you go on a cruise or whether you go to Hawaii or wherever you're going, um, find out if your hotel has a kids club um, and, you know, just do some research to make sure, you know, behind the people that are working there and that if it's, you know, safe for your kids and everything, but if it is, and they do background checks and, you know, all those, all those things are done and, and you checked all the, you know, the off your checklist of what you want in, you know, with safety for your kids. Um, if they have a kids club, then that's great. Then you can have a couple hours where you can go to the pool or grab a drink or go have lunch or whatever the case is. Your kids will be at the kids club. They'll have the time of their lives. Um, Cause again, they're playing and they're, you know, with peers and, you know, and so forth. Um, and that's good to have that separation, like I talked about, but then you and your husband get your own time too. And then after the, that couple hours, then you, you know, go back to the pool together and you do your own thing. So I think those are ways we, we've made it work where we can still have some alone time on vacation, but then also still have the kids there, um, you know, so, so they can experience all those things with us. And I think there's definitely a way to make it work if you get creative, especially if you don't have extra help like us, where we don't go on vacation with grandparents or you know, friends and things like that. I think there's definitely ways you can get creative to have both. That, those are phenomenal tips. That's great. I never even thought of the suite. Why not splurge a little bit, right? For that extra privacy. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So have you found therapy to help you in times in need when you need to parent? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I depend on, I have a network of, you know, let's say therapy friends, um, you know, friends <laughs> who are also th therapists that are also moms. Um, as well. They don't have to be, but, um, or even I have just friends that aren't in the field at all that have just known me for many years that I depend on to vent or to just say, this is hard, or what advice do you have for this? I mean, I, I strongly believe since I be, and since I've become a mom to really have a strong mom network um, or, or a therapist, you know, yourself, I don't really know any therapist that I've ever really met that doesn't have their own therapist, you know, cause you know, we're all human. And even though we have tools, it's hard to implement those things in our own lives. You know, it's, it's easy to help others more so than it is for you to actually, you know, do that in your own life. So, um, so whether it's a mom friend, a therapist, um, you know, whoever it is that you can lean on to seek advice, to cry on their shoulder, to vent a little when things are not going your way. Um, but just to have someone um, as a sounding board, someone to release with, and then you do the same for them. Obviously you wanna make sure that, you know, it's not just one-sided and that you're there for them when they need you. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's very uh, therapeutic, if you will, to, to have that network and to have that support because it does take a village. Before I became a parent, I really didn't really grasp what that really meant. But now that I am a parent, I know I can't do it alone. And I know I need friends and family members and, um, you know, even therapists, you know, whoever it is that you can depend on um, to help you, uh, whether it's just emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, I've, I've depended on a lot of friends, even from my daughter's school to, 
say, Hey, I have, I'm running late. Can you, can you stay with my child until I can pick them up from school? Will you just, you know, stay there with them, you know, in the parking lot, or will you take them to your house for 20 minutes if they live nearby? Or, you know, so many times I've just dependent on different people to help me get through the day and to help me really parent the way that I want to parent. So my biggest advice, and even with other things too, I'll think, okay, I have all this experience professionally, how to handle this particular thing. Let's say potty training, or I just wrote a blog yesterday and posted about, you know, how to let go of a pacifier, but no, whatever the topic is, I always have friends, moms per se, that I can call up anytime and say, Hey, I'm in this life stage, you know, with this particular issue, how did you deal with it? There's so many times I've learned new things myself, even with all the experience I have personally, professionally, there's so many times I've learned new things and new tricks and new hacks from other moms. And so, like I said, the biggest piece of advice, I'm probably repeating myself 10 times here, but it's so important for moms since day one, since the, since the second that, you know, that baby is born, uh, even beforehand, to have a really good mom network that you can depend on for all sorts of things. Um, and you don't have to spend money to seeing a therapist to, to do that. Um, I think just having you know, a really good set of friends that you can trust that are in the same mom life stage as you is really, really helpful and therapeutic to have, um, you know, to have that support as you're, as you're going through motherhood. It is so great to just kind of hear it out loud, right? To have permission and not to just feel like you have to carry this whole responsibility on your shoulders, that it's okay to ask for help. And I think sometimes as women, we want to do it all or think that it's not okay to reach out to someone or that we're maybe burdening burning the other person and asking for help too. But I think that sort of ties into that mental health, right? We also want to take care of ourselves, but we don't really allow ourselves to. Exactly. And I, I, I talk a lot about that, honestly, I, especially since the pandemic, when things have, you know, kind of hit us a little bit harder and differently, and we were kind of treading on new waters, um, but to ask for help and to not feel like you're weak for doing so. And I think that's the whole stigma behind just mental health alone is, you know, you see a lot of therapists on Instagram or just even in real life advocating to break the stigma, to end the stigma in mental health. And that if you have a backache, you go see a doctor to get help. But if you have uh, depression, you know, a lot of times it's there's shame involved of saying, I need help. I'm depressed. You know, I, I need to talk to a doctor or talk to someone to help me. And there's just that stigma attached to that versus, you know, some other physical illnesses or just, you know, things in general. And I think as a, as a mom culture, that's also happened where if a mom asks for help or says, I can't do it all, then it's looked upon as that, that they're weak or that they can't handle it. And that's a bad thing. And um, I'm trying to break that stigma because I'm saying, no, like we need a network of moms to help you. It's impossible to do it alone. It's impossible. Um, I don't know anyone who really does do it alone because eventually someone, you know, asks for help somewhere, but, um, but just to make it easier. Um, and I actually learned that after I had surgery last year, um, I, a, as you know, I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor and I had surgery about a year and a half ago and I literally couldn't move. I couldn't drive. I wasn't allowed to do anything for a couple of weeks. And at the time my son was still sleeping, you know, taking his naps and he was sleeping in his crib. 
And I literally couldn't pick him up. I wasn't allowed to pick him up. I couldn't pick up more than 10 pounds, I think, for at least six weeks. And I literally needed people to come over every single day during nap time because my husband was out, was working outside the home and I was home with the kids and I, I just, I needed help. I, I, I literally could not physically do it on my own because I couldn't pick up my own child to put him in his crib because of my surgery and my recovery. And so I literally texted every mom I knew in my area where I live and just said, you know, are you available on this day? Are you available on this day? you know, to help me. And at first it felt really awkward, you know, because I thought, oh gosh, I feel like I'm always asking for favors or, you know, I just, I felt bad because I felt like I was taking time out of their day and kind of feeling guilty for that. But so many moms came forward, not the ones I expected, to be honest, not my super, super close friends, but kind of my more acquaintances for some reason, interestingly enough, came forward and you never know who's going to say yes. Um, you never know who's going to bring you that casserole, you know, to your door when you need it or whatever the case is. So I always say, ask, sometimes people will say no, you know, they'll say they're too busy or they just can't or what they can't commit or whatever the case is, but there are going to be people that say yes. And so you have to just keep seeking that. And after I did it, I felt so much better better because I knew I couldn't do it alone. And I, I learned a big lesson that it's okay to ask for help. It really is okay. And it might be uncomfortable, it might be feel awkward, but I, I needed the help and I, and I got it because I advocated for myself. And I think that's what I, the, the lesson was, is, you know, to advocate for yourself and your kids, um, because that was what was best for me at the time. And it's, it literally saved me. So, um, anyway, that's a really off topic, you know, to, but the same discussion we're having, but, um, but it just goes back to, you know, just, just do it. Um, you know, don't be shy and just ask for that help because you might be helping parents or other moms too. Um, it's not, like I said, one-sided and there'll be a time when they come back to you to ask for help too. And it feels really good to help others. Um, and so you might need help right now, but down the road, someone else will need your help and it'll feel really good to give that back. Well said. I love it. Dr. Kim, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Can you plug and let us know where to find you, your social media platforms and your website as well? Absolutely. Um, I am very present on my blog. I love um, writing blogs of all sorts of things. Um, I say that my blog is a family and lifestyle blog about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Obviously, I'm a licensed therapist and play therapist. I'm a professor um, and writer. And so um, I love writing on my blog and all sorts of different topics. So you can find that at theparentologist.com. And then on social media, I'm probably most active on Instagram and I'm at theparentologist. Um, same on Facebook, uh, at The Parentologist. On Twitter, if any Twitter followers are out there, I'm at drparentologist, so at Dr. Parentologist. And um, I'm also on Pinterest. I think it's just The Parentologist on Pinterest or maybe just Parentologist on Pinterest. Um, and I'm also starting my own podcast. I'm hopefully launching very, very soon. Um, my goal was to do it next week, but we had a few snags, as life does to us sometimes. So um, but that is also, you can find me on Instagram um, at the Parentologist Podcast. Um, I'm going to start kind of beefing that up a little bit soon, and hopefully I'll have a, a link to share once I actually get that first episode uploaded. Um, but yeah, reach out to me anytime. My, my email is also on uh, my Instagram, and so um, anyone can email me as well if there's any personal questions that come up. I know I get a lot of um, different questions asked on, uh, and I try to get back to every message sent to me on Instagram uh, personally if there's any questions about, you know, a parent seeking some kind of advice or question about their child's behavior. I'm always willing to help, and I'm always, um, you know, there to, if I can't help myself, then I like to give resources to parents as much as possible. So please reach out. I love, I love love connecting with other parents.
Thank you so much for your time. It was great speaking with you, Dr. Kim. Thanks and congratulations so on your podcast. We're so excited. So keep us posted so we can help plug that away as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to Mom's Time Out. Please come back next week for more engaging conversations. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please refer and share with your friends. We appreciate your support. Thanks so much and stay tuned for next week.